And now, the moment you've all been waiting for. Welcome to Social Media White Noise. Yeah, I'm really sorry about that, Ted, but we've had complaints that the intro's too long. Bugger. Speak for level. And speak for level. And tunes, turning off the phones. Being quite happy with my Android phone now. Did we talk about my Android phone? And we're on air. And we're on air, are we? We didn't talk about the Android phone, but we could do... I'll oh, put it off, shall I? There we go. Ever put it off? I want to get an Android disabled. phone. Yes, your iPhone, aren't you? I yeah. switched over. Hello, good afternoon, good morning, good grief. It's been too long. It's this been is Social Media White Noise. We long. can barely remember the number, but we are in the Blackbird traditional tea rooms in Brighton. And I have to say this place is awesome. And you can hear the noises kicking around in the background as we speak. It is I, Nick, Loudmouth Man Butler, with my associate. Andy White, aka Dr. Pond, spelled out D-O-C-T-O-R-P-O-D. And other words, Dr. spelled out funny. Is that really going to work, considering we're on one channel and you can't adjust yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, I'm really fed up today. I'm really grumpy. A technical problem, Andy. I have a, I thought you said a technical problem, but a technical problem. Why would I um, say testicle problem, Andy? It sounded like you said it. Um, okay. Yeah, I've got a problem with the audio on my audio drivers, and despite the fact that I have a stereo interface coming in, it's seeing it as one channel. Well, there and we go. equally putting that one channel against both of the stereo channels on the recording, so not quite sure what's going on. So if one of us sounds louder than the other... Speaking please, of one channel, we're next to the one channel, which is frankly suffering less of a battering from this UK storm than we were promised. I'm, I'm a little bit... I mean, I can... I, OK, there are 40,000 houses without power. That's unfortunate. Apart there are people that. who are having a hard time. Apart There's from been that. a couple of deaths, and that is... Apart from that. Exceedingly, you know, that's, that's, that's sad, and, and it wouldn't be appropriate to make a light of the matter. But I do feel like, between social media and traditional media, we managed to talk up this storm far more than it was worth. Now, whether that was... Whether that was because there's a concern that to be to, to lack an action over the action to lead to an inactionable oh. action would lead to an actionable action oh. in an action. I'll just play some music while next to doing this. I'm done now. There we go. Oh, sorry, oh, I, I was going to some lift I'm, music. I'm question. Is it, is it the, the, uh, the ability to broadcast information so quickly and so rapidly mm. Uh, on the one end leads traditional media who are constantly feel like they're on the back foot in reporting to try to be more predictive and say, oh, there's definitely going to be a threat. Is that the reporters always seem to be standing strangely? Well, I did, I did feel sorry for them because they had to be out there going, well, I'm here at the moment in X Street in Y Place in Britain and it's very, very windy behind me and I'm having to think up more words to describe precisely why nothing is happening behind me. Oh, my hat's blown off. Nothing at all. So I think there's a, you know, a fairly good chance that there was a lot of reporters who were sent out with nothing to talk about. Um, but at the same time, I, I wonder if, um, through the power of social media, the ability for uh, traditional media to overhype something is now magnified as being a bit of a waste of time. Mm. Yeah. I, I don't know. I don't know, Nick. Sorry. What are we on here hmm. talking about then? Do we do anything? I'm annoyed by this You're, audio sensor. really distracted by the fact we're not on two channels. I hate it when things don't work properly. Um, so what are we talking about today? It's this thing. So we have uh, the UK Storm, uh, Google wants you for their adverts, yeah. is Linux getting a second wind in gaming, and gaming? Bullet Journal. Can we do the Linux thing first? 
No, we did the UK Storm thing first, so no. we'll do the lion. Oh, can we do the lion thing next? We can do the lion thing next. Okay. Okay. Have you got some sort of clever segue? We can go into it. No. No. I'm segue free. Segue free on that yeah. one. Okay. So the the announcement from Valve, a video game company synonymous for games like Half Life Three mm. and Team Fortress, um, is that they were originally concerned. We, we, wrote, we talked about this a couple of years, but uh, at least last year that uh, Gabe is, uh, Gabe of, of Valve is exceedingly concerned that Windows 8 is a terrible lock-in for video game designers. Right. Because it has a, a phenomenal amount of control over how you can install things and how it has to be submitted to the app platform in the same way that they are with Apple Macintosh. And that, that for a product like Steam, which is delivered by Valve, which is a sort of game platform application installer that manages all the licensing and manages your rights to the product, mm. is is going to be sort of leveraged out by products like Windows 8 and Windows 8 3.1. So he looked at Linux, which was this open platform, which and you know which which people like Google had already sort of said, oh look, we can take Linux and turn it into the Android device and make make Linux-based mobile phones. Mm. Um, yeah, we can take this product and we can build. Uh, an operating system that's designed to promote the Steam uh, product as well as encourage video game designers. An operating system or um, platform? Uh, it starts off as an operating system, yeah. but now with the announcement of things called Valve Boxes, mm. what we're seeing is uh, both a um, an operating system, which will be called Steam OS, mm -hmm. which you can download freely and install freely. So mm. we're talking about full operating system is it and video game platform. It's, is it Vaporware? No, apparently this stuff does exist and is available to download. Along with, you're going to do Steam in Vapor, aren't you? That was the joke you were going for. I'm just getting Nick, there. This is the first time in history I've ever seen you not get a joke immediately. Thank or slightly before I've told it. Thank you. Yes. Well, because, you know, steam and vapour, it's, it's, yeah, there's, there's something upset in that, I'm sure. Um, Does it do compression? Yeah, I see what you're doing now. You're doing all the physics gag around steam. Did you study about steam at some point there, Andy? Might have. It's Andy is mocking me. I find this quite, I find this quite interesting, actually. I mean, usually it's an opportunity for me to mock Andy for his lack of uh, it is always mocking science. Me. But this is, this is quite unfair. So, um, there's the Steam OS, which is coming out, and on top of this we have um, Steam boxes, three of which have been announced. They're physical hardware, uh, which the specifications will be released over time, onto which Steam OS will run. Yeah. The concept being that Steam are basically producing a video games console. And it'll be all based on Linux. So it'll be like the sort of the Android phone of gaming. Yes. The Android box of gaming. The Android box of gaming, like the like the OUYA. The O U Y A. Right. Um, yes, isn't I mean, okay, so why is it different to an Android box? Well, first of all, it's not using Android's platform and Google Play. It's, it's not a phone, it's a console, is it? You know, it's a console. It's a full-on console. About, about, the, about that sort of size, it says well, on all the podcasts. You buy a PC and and you install Steam OS. Oh, okay. Steam, and now you can install Half-Life 2. Yeah. And he said Half-Life 3. See, this is the thing. In order for this to be successful, they would need a killer app. Yeah. And I have been saying that the killer app is going to be Valve releasing Half-Life 3. Mm. And if it's Half-Life 3 on Steambox OS, then that's the that's the that's the video game everyone's waiting for, and now we've suddenly got the game, you know, the game changer for uh, game consoles because Valve, who are holding um, the killer app close to their, close to their chest, mm. could release it with a view of encouraging the promotion of Steambox OS, and you know, saying this is a exclusive to Linux 
Here we go. They've already said that the Linux platform for them is faster, mm. it's easier to develop for, mm. it provides them better um, quality of video integration, video graphic formats. Mm. So, you know, if they're if, if they're already pushing out for that to say Linux is the way to do it and they're building this on a free operating system and they're making it easier for developers to jump on board, it re... It, it, not only does it, does it sort of reinvigorate a, fair, a flagging Linux desktop market, which has never been successful, but it changes the view of Linux in the front room Potentially in the same way that Apple changed the view of tablets. Right. Because the sort of set-top box question, the set-top box equation uh, of, of uh, the, the house has traditionally been a thing called Windows Media Center. Yeah. And it's sort of, sort of you know, it's, it's bobbed along for a It's not really been as efficient in getting people going, wow, this is something we want to develop for. Mm. Just putting a PC into your living room, you end up with the sort of HTPC, the home theater PC specification. Mm. And the idea is you can watch films on it and so forth. With Valve saying that Netflix will be releasing a product on SteamOS, that you'll be able to stream standard video products with, with additional media products coming out alongside video games, it makes the Steambox OS console look like a product that could change how people approach video game consoles and Linux in the same way that Apple changed how people approach tablets. Because tablets were around, you know, Microsoft were doing the Windows tablet long mm. before Apple did iPad. Yeah. But the approach of iPad to make something that was a coherently vertical, singular product all wrapped into one with tight control over the hardware and the software. So Steambox get tight control over the hardware by designing a specification that says buy these components mm. and you can build a Steambox product. Pretty much like you can build a Mac OS X hacking top right. by building the products for ha of, of, of a Mac mm. and then putting them together and installing OS X on top. Mm. These are just PC components built in a set way. So we're looking at this coming along and saying, well, there's a, there's a very strong chance that with the right killer app, let's call it Half-Life 3, um, and Steambox OS uh, being out there, um, Steambox OS being out there, that we're going to see uh, people being able to build their own boxes, or buy boxes that meet the specification for Steambox OS, and put their gaming platform in their living room with their Valve's big picture format, which is where they've designed an interface that's designed to work with a gamepad controller and the TV. So they've, they've been thinking through this problem and having the, um, having the opportunity of having so many video games to hand and of course being put in the sort of centre of that market, it gives them the opportunity to say, well, we already control the market of, you know, the, the, the trouble you have in launching something like Windows Phone or iPad Phone or Android Phone is say, do we have the developers and do we have the apps? Mm -hmm. Valve already have those two. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and you know, do they need an operating system? Oh, well, if they can get an operating system, then it's... And what stage is this at? This is now a point where the beta candidates for Steambox yeah. hardware yeah. will be released next year okay. uh, in the first quarter. Uh, Steambox OS will be available for download about the same time. Right. So this is not just a, you know, vaporware conversation. So it, re it replaces the whole operating system? It replaces the whole operating okay. system. And it's, purely just, it's purely dedicated to gaming? It's, well, it's a Linux operating system. Yeah. So right. You can use this. Everything we've been using Linux for traditionally, hosting websites, so is it a flavor building of applications. Linux? It's a flavor of Linux. Oh, okay, fair enough. Yeah. 
it's it's a great opportunity to reinvigorate both the Linux desktop environment mm. and because Linux enables people at home to have developmental control over building applications again that Windows has taken away to a certain degree mm. and it's only since we've seen iPhone development and Android development that people have gone back into learning about development yeah. it could re-kickstart the indie developer scene and you know, the indie developer scene is strong mm. but it exists within a few sort of vertical areas Okay. so I'm kind of looking forward to this um, so we're near 12 minutes yep. should we talk about um, Mr Snowden briefly discuss the Snowden files the ongoing expansion stuff has been coming out has been tripping out hasn't it for a while and it's well you know the, the, the story today that um, they tapped over 60 million Spanish phone calls yeah. over a month um, but they were listening into German Prime Minister's um, uh, Merkel's phone calls and what I find amazing is, is there is no sense of indignation coming out of the general public about this it's a sort of like a, a sort of tacit acceptance that well we sort of knew all this was going on and we don't care there doesn't seem to be a point at which people would go hang on this really wasn't okay it's not acceptable to think that every conversation can be listened into and stored away and archived just in case you need to go back and check for were they a terrorist. Do you think there is complacence? I, I, or even complacency? I find it amazing that in America they don't they still haven't pitched how they're going to handle this as a question to the government. Yeah. In Britain they're simply saying if you disagree with this, then you're not British and you're a terrorist and you're a supporter of terrorists. How are they saying you've got that? to be anti-government. If you're if you're not in agreement with GCHQ being able to spy on you, you're anti-government. How have they and, said and this that? Is what, well, this is where the government's already having their um, committee meetings to talk about whether or not is a question of um, the actions that have been taken by the Guardian and by the various reports of the Guardian yeah. is something that is sort of anti-competitive to the government and to Britain. You know, they're staying away from saying, like, is it traitorous? Mm. Can you be shot for it? So that's the conversation that, that bubbles along. You know, that, that, that's an implicit worry. And it amazes me that when we talk about this, the general view is, well, I don't really care. You know, the, that, that old, I don't have anything to hide, but failing to understand that, that it's not a question of do you have anything to hide. The point is, if somebody like Snowden can just pick up anybody's secrets and hand them over, then somebody else like Snowden, who's still working for GCHQ or ASA, who might decide to track down an ex-girlfriend, or, you know, might, might decide to you know, be paid to look up somebody else's lover and find out about them, that's entirely able to happen and we should worry about it well, you know on top of that we have to be concerned that if we have this large collection of files at what point do you have a government that suddenly says actually we're going to pass a law that's also going to operate in hindsight in retrospect and we're going to be able to uh, penalize anybody who's been involved in this particular discussion and that's always been a worry isn't it? this has always been a worry this retrospective thing but are the government likely to do that i suppose they could do for their own ends Governments have done this in the past, mm. so are they likely to do it? They've been able to do it. They will do it again, given the opportunity. It's kind of one of the things why, um, you know, democracy is the the best of the worst of all options. It's the, it's the, it's the least it's the least offensive one that we have. But I don't think it really relies on us being more involved in it, not less. Less trustful of people who handed control over to 
and requiring more information out of them. There's a kind of um, a revelation, not a revelation, I suppose some of us, the Tinfoil Hat Brigade, of which I'm an avid um, watcher. Then he said follower. Okay, a follower. It's this, it's this concept of the our own government yeah, becoming adversarial. This is what Steve Gibson says. It's this sort of concept that says, oh, well, you should, you should say, you know, encrypt all of your emails. But that's the least, you know, the problem with encrypting all your emails is you can't search any of your emails then. Because you have to decrypt each one individually in order to search its <laughs> contents, and that makes it, you know, makes a very large mail file mm. pointless. Mm. Plus, you know, yeah. how do you handle the encryption and decryption of that email? So it's easier to have unencrypted emails stored on a single file. Yeah. You just, we, we shouldn't have to be living in a counter-surveillance society in order to live in a private society. And, you know, like, do we, are, we, are we getting to the point where we're going to have to buy clothes that come with infrared transmitters? that block CCTVs from viewing you, just because, you know, to, to respond to a non-private society is to bring in a counter-surveillance. Uh, it's not the way to approach a society that says, uh, the way we're going to do it is we're going to enable more people to be private, because then it's only people who can afford privacy, mm. and it is people who can afford privacy who will have privacy. But people who can afford privacy are also the same people who can afford good lawyers, good solicitors, you know, exiting from the country at high speed, putting their money around the world. These are the people who can afford to do that. It's unfair to everyone in society to expect them to have a coherent understanding of how to keep their privacy. And it penalises them. In the same way you shouldn't be allowed to incriminate yourself, you shouldn't be allowed to unprivatise yourself. That should be a word. Unprivatise. But, uh, that's my, yeah, it's, it's going to go on and I do not believe that people are going to be upset enough by it for them to hear about anything about it. I, I, I sit back and I wonder sometimes whether we're going to see some, some level of revolution um, or protest again that we saw like at the time of the, the poll taxes when people took to the streets and were genuinely angry at the unfair if, level. If of, people are complacent, that isn't going to happen, is it? No, I don't think so. And I think the greater amount of entertainment that people are provided, the more video games, the more reality TV shows, etc., they're provided, the easier it's going to be, you know, and, and now we've basically put video games and distraction screens into the hands of every traveller. Yeah, everyone's got a mobile phone and can be yeah. distracted by, you know, distracted in seven inches. That's so wrong. <laughs> distracted in a few inches of screen space yeah. as they move. Yeah, we've, we've, if, if, if religion was the opiate of the masses, then, then broadcast Wi-Fi entertainment is its updated version. Uh, and it keeps everybody sort of happily, happily sedated whilst you carry on running a government. But that's the tinfoil hats, extreme, you know, paranoia, conspiracy brigade. Oh gosh, they're turning up for me in their helicopters now. I mean, I just, I have this... I don't feel I can trust our own government. Well, that's probably a healthy place to be, um, but not a constructive place to be. Demonstrated at. that they cannot be, they're untrustworthy. That they're Could secretive. Could you also trust the media? Are, do you think, oh, you can't trust. If trust can't no trust one, they can trust, trust no, no one. one. You've got to stop watching TNO. X-Files. Yeah, trust no one. Hey, speaking of trusting no one, how would you feel about Google using your face in its adverts? And now I've heard about this, but how does it work? By encouraging people to use proper photos of themselves and their real names, yeah. Google are looking at the things that you've favorited and liked and promoted as an idea, yeah. and are allowing Google AdWords to incorporate your image and your promotion 
in that product's promotion for, or that brand's promotion for its product so that AdWords could effectively include Google profile promotions. So what if you had put an image of your face with the text £20,000 per use for this image? Well, there you go. Try and, try and get that one through. You'll probably find the user at the acceptable licence agreement that you sign off as a user, as a, as a user of a system would avoid that being anything that was, you know, approachable or amenable. I think what it comes down to, though, is that, is that there's a difference between... Um, there's a difference between promotion um, and recommendation. And when my friend recommends something to me or my friend promotes something, as an action that they do, it means more to me than when a brand tries to tell me that a friend has liked something. This is all to do with this, this like scope creep um, kind of situation, which I've spoken of before. It's, but it's not scope creep. It's kind of some other word, creep. So what they're doing is they said, oh, this person has liked this or recommended this or whatever. Therefore, let's take it a little bit further. Let's creep the scope slightly. Mm. So he's not recommending it. It's a bit like privacy creep. Yep. Where kind of um, you told someone who it's, told it's someone not, who told someone. It's who a told privacy someone. creep of where I hand you my email address, my telephone number, my personal details, yeah. and you install an app that takes that and uploads it yeah. for their use. Yeah. Yeah. Or where you take a photo of me, upload it to Facebook, and tag me in the Facebook timeline. Yeah. So now all my friends can see that I was tagged at this event that maybe I wasn't trying to advertise that I was at. And that's a privacy. Well, like a pole dancing event or something. A privacy scope creep. Yeah. Not bothered by that at all. But, you know, frankly, there might be somebody else there who's with me at the time who doesn't want to get photographed. Mm. So that's privacy creep. That's the. There's a social aspect here about teaching children not just about how to be safe online, but also yeah. how to respect other people's privacy online. Yeah. Um, you know, and it's... It's a, it's a question of how do you teach children not just about being safe online, but how do you teach children about helping other people stay safe online? My, my, daughter, under, my daughter understands that she cannot just go and join another server to play a video game on mm. because being under 13 puts the owner of that server in conflict with COPA, the sort of child online protection rules. Yeah. But she would have to let them know that she was joining and make sure that people were aware that in that server there was a young child playing. Yeah. Understanding that her actions impact other people's actions online, yeah. which is a different approach than just saying, "Oh, we're gonna, we're gonna make sure that you're working with." I mean, it's this big thing they do at schools, and big thing we seem to want to encourage children, and it's the wrong thing. We're going to make sure that you feel that the systems are safe enough to you to use, that you don't have to worry and you don't have to think. And now we're back to how we make people just slowly sort of remove responsibility for thinking for themselves and allow other people to tell them it's okay, it's managed, and you can just relax. As you're nodding quite calmly there. Yeah. yeah. So I think that's, um, I think it's a concern uh, for feature, feature creep and scope mm. creep mm. that again, have lots of people. Social creep is a good umbrella term for it, social creep. The social creepers. Hey, we should form a consultancy, social creepers. And <laughs> <laughs> we, we help people uh, we help companies define whether or not their employees are creating a problem for their company privacy. 
Yeah. Digital rights usage through Scope Creep. We should call this show uh, Social Creeps. The Social Creeps. Oh, there we go. We can relaunch, restart a whole new show. We go to really creepy venues. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's nearly Halloween, isn't it? Oh, I know. Oh, Maybe we should do the next show from a Halloween-y place. Okay, well, we'll have to do that. That would actually have to be this week. Uh, yeah, it's Thursday, isn't it? It is, Thursday. yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. I know. There's such a long delay between one show and the other. I know, yeah. And that's just you working and me oh, working and summer holidays. Just a quick explanation to everyone. You know I work four days a week. The problem is that when I first started working four days a week, Friday was my day off. But as, the, as we've progressed with this job, it often oscillates around, doesn't it, Nick? So at the last minute, you'll get a, a calendar request. Oh, can you do uh, tomorrow? Yes, last minute being the operative word. <laughs> Not, yes, being the operative word. Of course, Nick's busy as well, so he can't always make it. It's like I try and keep Mondays and Fridays free for myself. As yeah. a, yeah. then I can scope my, and I can give Tuesdays, Wednesdays and Thursdays to clients. Yeah. As I say to people, I, you know, I, I try to work two days, well, I work most days a week. I try to work as if I'm working two days a week yeah. consistently. Yeah. And then book that time in. Yeah. And booking that time in and then working on that actually just leads on quite nicely to the bullet journal, but we'll, we'll come back to that in a moment. But yeah, we've been we've been remiss. We haven't been wanting to shut the show down. We've no. simply not been able to catch up. Mm. You know, even and we love to do it over Skype. Yes, it yes. Because I, I think coming out to cafes like Blackbird's Tea Room mm. um, is part of part of the setting of this show. Yeah. Um, and I, don't, I think there's too many, too many podcasts and too many shows which are just guys sat on benches or sofas looking at a camera talking. Yeah. Or guys sat on Skype calls talking. I'm so glad we're not on video, though. Yeah. Well, you know, I think you, you, you'd get the sort of view of these places. You could Google Hangout it, as we proposed. Yeah. But timekeeping's timekeeping's been a problem. I have to confess, I've moved into a timekeeping um, mechanism called Bullet Journal. How does it work? And it's uh, it's a pen and paper timekeeping mechanism. It's a to-do list, task yeah. list management. Yeah. And it starts with a straightforward premise of on um, one page you simply write all the days and the days all the days of the month mm. and the days so Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, all the way down. Yeah. Um, and on that you are simply writing some events and notes that you need to know. That's so you're sort of like you know oh on this day you'll go to here on this day. and it's not everything it's just a few basic things about events for those days that you need to remember mm-hmm. on the subsequent page you write a list of tasks that you're looking to complete within that month mm-hmm. so you have uh, tasks events and uh, explores right so you know the task is basically a tick box option which is I need to do this I need to do this I need to do this now if you need to go into that task further, yeah. you start a new page, and now you begin to number all the pages. Right. And you basically write headline for that task and then the page that that task and all of its tasks are on. Right. So that breaks it down. Then what you do is you turn the page over, and then starting each page to page, you write the date on that page, mm-hmm. and then on that day, you basically bring in any of the tasks that you're going to complete that day. Right. Or that you have to complete that day. And then as you complete them, you tick them off. Yeah. If you migrate them from one day to the next, you strike them through. Yes, you're rewriting everything. Yes, you're doing a mechanism that could equally be achieved by using a calendaring system and many of the to-do task systems out there. Yeah. I know, I've used, I use Toodle-Doo um, to yeah. use all of them. Every single one of them fails to give me a visceral feeling of doing something yeah. that pen and paper continue to provide. Mm. As elegant as I can do things with digital, yeah. the visceral aspect of writing a list, 
I'm passing it from mind to pen to paper. Yeah, I've gone the same way. Sort of reiterates, reinforces for me getting that job done in a particular way. So I'm just thinking about it better. Never been able to get into OmniFocus. I bought it a couple of years ago. I've never fully utilised it. And I've gone back to pen and paper. I just have a day book. So there's a there's a really good video that's about five minutes long. It's worth watching on the topic of how to do a bullet journal and how to buy you know buy this particular moleskin sized book, get yeah. some pen, start. So it's just a way of it's, it's a, a way of using it rather than a like a product. It's yeah, just a way it's of just using a, it. it's just yeah. pres- and, I mean, okay, I'm adapting it already, so I know yeah. at the bottom of the month I write a few months ahead, I yeah. put in so other dates that are coming up in the following month. Yeah. I just make a note of them there right away so that I know that as I go forward, I bring those forward. Yeah. And um, you know, I migrate my dates over. But at the, all these pages that you number, you have an index at the start. Sure. And you just write the headlines for each of those pages yeah. in that index, making it easier to find things. Mm-hmm. I'm two and a half months in and finding it's that it's an efficient mechanism to remind me of, okay, if I'm suddenly going, right, okay, I've now got an hour, what do I do next? I just open this up and go, right, I'm going to go through this task. Right. And then just get a little bit more done in each task. Yeah. So am I getting more done? I don't know if getting more or less done. Do you feel better? But I feel like some of the items... I'll tell you what I have done, is I created the Christmas lists. Yes. And wrote down in there the things I was already buying, the things I planned to buy, and things I was thinking of buying. And then made a note each week end in the month calendar thing to just go and get those particular items from where. Yeah. Or they were ordered and so forth. Um, And I, you know, haven't done that from September, haven't done that from September and October. Mm. Now most of the Christmas presents are all bought in and put away. Mm. It just means that I've sort of made Christmas much more easy to cope sure. with yeah, yeah, by yeah. pre-planning that yeah, in. Yeah, yeah, you're spreading it out. And you sort of spread it out. And of course, yeah. if you're doing things like stocking fillers and things like that, it's just a couple of pounds each each week yes. and different things. And yeah. it's sorted. So yeah. it's, you know, because now, now what I can do is I can look ahead and say, okay, I know I'm going into London to do this. Yeah. I know I've got tasks that are related to that. I'll take this task and put it into that when I'm in this place. Yeah. So, um, for instance, I'm here in Brighton and I know I've got a task to get a, an outfit for sort of looking like an Edwardian gentleman. Mm. So now I'm going to go back into the lanes and into the steen and, and look around that area for yeah. some So those things mixed together. Mm. I'm, I'm actually quite impressed because it is a, it's, yeah, it's just a, another task list system. Mm. But they presented it in such a way that it felt like it was a mechanism that you could quickly understand and quickly implement. So, you know, we'll come back and talk about it in a few months' time. So it's called what, bullet listing, is it? Bullet journal. Bullet journal. Bullet journal. Okay. I'll put a link up on the website for Excellent. it. Excellent. Um, well, we are at 30 minutes, Nick, unless you want to go over a bit to make up for the fact that we've done nothing on the show for a couple of weeks. I don't really, actually. I'm just looking out and, and returning it's, to the subject of UK Storm. It's starting to rain. It's appear now that yeah. the UK Storm is returning to us. It's 11.45. I'm regretting that I didn't bring my hat. So maybe I'll go and fetch myself another. And I'm now watching somebody try and open a window and they'll close it. It's quite hilarious. They don't obviously know how a window works. <laughs> Probably a Mac user. Anyway. <laughs> you criticising Mac users? I'm a Mac user myself. And yeah, a Linux yeah. user and a Windows user. Right, so let's shoot We'll wrap it up for 30 minutes. So we've been, um, I've been Dr. Pod. And I've been Nick Butler, aka Loudmouth Man. As ever, if you're enjoying the show, shows, do visit social media, whitenoise.com. We have a donate button. We are always very much appreciative of the donations. Uh, they help for the teas and coffees and scones. And uh, you're going to talk a little bit about Blackbird? Or? I was going to say thank you very much for having us at Blackbird, traditional it's, tea room, 36 Street, Brighton. It's a very retro, you know, it's... Yeah, you've got to come down here and look at this place. It's amazing. It's amazing. Right, anyway, there we are. Ta-da, bye-bye. See you next time. I've got to pay with my phone now.
Thanks for listening to Social Media White Noise, brought to you by Andy White, Acker Doctor Pod, and Nick Butler, Acker Loudmouth Man. Please visit www.socialmediawhitenoise.com where you can leave comments, listen to the show straight from the webpage, and subscribe for free. Email us at ulot at socialmediawhitenoise.com. Follow us on Twitter, Dr. Pod and Loudmouthman. We'd like to thank the coffee shops of Sussex, social media and technology, without whom this show would not be possible. See you soon. Peace. <laughs>